So Ryan Tov, we continue in the Nefesh Shimshon, and we have finished Karbanos. And there's one more thing that we're going to look into, and that is the Ketores offering. The Ketores offering was brought twice a day, once in the morning, once in the late afternoon. It was brought in the inner golden altar where 11 different spices were combined together and put on the Mizbeach. And there's a lot to talk about this. Um, we're in the Sefer Nefesh Shimshon on page Kufnun Gimel. I'm starting from the bottom. There's a very long idea that Rapinkus is going to share with us. We are not going to finish it all in one session. So we're going to kind of have to be caught in the middle before we move on and get the second half tomorrow. So very important to listen to both halves here. First thing he notes is that this offering is a very unique one. And let's give a few examples of sources that show you how unique the Ketoris offering it is. The Medrash said, when Moshe spoke to the 250 people who were in Korach's congregation about the showdown of who deserves to be the Kohen Godel or who could bring the Ketoris, the sign of who Hashem is chosen through the Ketoris. And the Medrash says that this service of the Ketoris is the most precious of all the services in the Beis Amikdash more than all the korbanos. He also mentions how poison is inside of it. And the person who is chosen by Hashem, he will be the Holy One. Gomorrah also says, in, uh, uh, tells us that Rav Hanina said, how do we know that the Ketoris brings atonement? So we know when the Jewish, uh, when the uh, people were being punished, Moshe tells Aaron to bring the Ketores and will bring atonement for the people. Okay. Another Gemara says the Ketores brings atonement for the sin of Lashon Hara and it saves you from the Yetzirah of idol worship. And when it talks about the Ketores, when it was used to stop the suffering of the Jews, when there was a plague, on the words where it says, and he stood between the dead people. So the Chazal say, why was it the Ketores? Because the Jewish people were <laughs> criticizing and ridiculing the Ketores and saying it's the, it's the poison, it kills people. Because they saw, look, none of an Aviu died when they brought a Ketores. The 250 people came and they died with the Ketores. So Hashem says, if you want to stop this plague, you'll see that the Ketores will stop it as well. And you see that it's sin that kills, right? And not the Ketores. The Ketores stops the Malachim of us. The Ketores also has many unique powers, as we see. Number one, it can stop a plague. But also, because it's so important, and if it's used improperly, death can come as a result of it. 
So we see this is a very double-edged sword, so to speak. It's a very awesome tool. It's a tool to fight against the Sahara that fights us face-to-face. And when you're face-to-face battling the Yetzirah, you're in a great danger because if you weaken yourself in the battle, you can get killed. Okay? Just like, uh, you know, you're going into a lion's den. You know, if you win, you win. If not, you're in big trouble. So, so therefore, the same thing is with the Ketoris. If you use the Ketoris properly, then... Uh, you can uh, accomplish amazing things. But if not, you can get hurt from it. As the 250 people of Korach died, but Aaron was able to bring, to stop death from it. So this is a very unique concept over here. Also, we are told about the Ketoris, another important thing, that the Kohanim, when it would decide who would bring the Ketoris offering, they would draw lots from it. Now, who is eligible to go on the lottery? Only someone who had not yet brought the Ketoris offering. Once you brought the Ketoris offering, you're ineligible to be in the lottery for it. Why? Interestingly, it says the Ketoris is a blessing for wealth. It's a school for wealth. So you want to give every coin a chance to be wealthy. So once you already brought the Ketoris once, you had the school of for wealth. One time's enough. Let other people have it. And therefore, this Segula really is an eternal Skula, as we see, because when you say the Ketoris nowadays, it's brought in the Ramah, in chapter 132 in the Shulchan Aruch. There are those who say you have to be careful when you say the Ketoris reading it should be done inside and not by heart. Because reading is instead of in the place of bringing it. And if you read, you may by heart, you may go fast, you may skip. And we know one of the rules is, if you don't have all 11 parts of the Torah, then you are high of Misa, if you're missing one. So if you're going to read it fast by heart and skip one of the 11 um, incense, it's so to speak like Chayiv Misa, okay? And therefore, it's also, if you really are diligent, this Parsha of Keturus is meant to be said three times a day. One is in the morning, right after the Korban, by the Korbanos. If you're Sfarred after Shachris, and again, if you're Sfarred before Mincha, okay? So, what we need to do is to understand what is the whole concept of bringing the Ketoris in the Beis Hamikdash, why it has such unique schoolos as stopping a plague or bringing wealth. And we have, see these are very deep ideas. And I'm going to try to explain it as simple as possible. Now, the simple way is already plenty deep, as you shall see. So this is what we're going to look into. Okay, so the first thing we have to understand is what is the difference between regular korbanos and the ketoris? It's all part of the service. Now, regular korbanos, whether it be an animal, a bird, or a meal offering, uh, ultimately gets burnt. Some a little bit eaten, but basically burnt. 
and there's always, except there's some uh, level of blood involved, such as Mesiris Nefesh, as we said yesterday, willing to pour out blood instead of ourselves, or even if it's a meal offer, you live on food, so that's your life depends on it. So the regular korban is we is to show that we live in a world of expressions and we do hints to show what's going on so just like we explained before that if you give someone a gift of a diamond the goal isn't the diamond itself right but it's an expression of love and we said karbanos is an expression of love to hashem to the point we're willing to spill our blood and give ourselves over or give our food that's just the sustenance of our lives. Okay, that's what you explained. But still, there's even a more impressive gift that can be given. As it says in Eov, call asher le'ish yitain ba'ad nafshom. A person will give anything for his soul. Which means, even though a person doesn't live or should not live just for the sake of living. But the nature of the world is that a person lives for a higher calling than just to live. Okay, he's gonna explain what this means. If we think for a minute, why does a person live? What motivates a person to live? We ask a person, why are you living? Just simple, simple, let's not get religious here. What do you want out of life? So if people are honest, they'll say pleasure. They may use other words. I want to have fun, I want to enjoy myself. Now, is that a heretical idea? Absolutely not. Why? Because Mesilsia Sharm tells us about this. Again, we'll go over the basics again to repeat it. The foundation of Hasidus and the root of wholesome service to Hashem is for a person to clarify and make true what is his obligation in this world and what the rabbis taught us about it. And he says a person was created except only to take pleasure in Hashem and to have pleasure in the radiance of the Shekhinah. That's the truest pleasure, the most sophisticated one of all the pleasures that exist. Okay, so what is Mr. Sharm saying? A person was created to have pleasure. Hashem wired us to want pleasure and to want the highest pleasure. The highest pleasure, if you're a connoisseur of pleasure, is to delight in, Hashem, to delight in Hashem, which is the truest pleasure. And again, this separates a human being from an animal. An animal does not look for pleasures. If he has one, it's in front of him, he'll enjoy it. But he ain't looking for pleasures. The animal lives to live. That's it. He doesn't think about anything else. A person lives for pleasure. And for that pleasure, he'll overturn the worlds. What won't a person do for pleasure? That's the critical point of a person. And those pleasures by nature that fills his yearnings. Was, what, are, what am I driving? What am I living for? What am I driven by? 
We're driven by pleasures. Okay. Now, people can manifest it in all kinds of ways. The way Hashem wants it is the pleasure of being with Hashem. Other people say pleasure of money, pleasure of food, pleasure of intimacy, whatever. But that's the driving force in a world. Wars have been fought over the pleasure of women. Okay. Now, question now, what is the most sublime pleasure of all the pleasures? It says for Pincus, it's the pleasure of smell. The sense of smell. It's unique, first of all, only to a human being. An animal may enjoy eating something, but an animal has no pleasure from smelling a nice aroma. He only uses it to locate his food. Like a dog sniffs things out, but for a reason, not for pleasure. The animal doesn't say, oh, I wanna have a good time today, right? An animal has nothing to do with enjoying the smell of something for the sake of enjoying the smell. That's unique to a person. And what part of the person? To the neshama who gets pleasure in that. When a person is eating, uh, he doesn't know that he's looking for pleasure. Because even if he didn't have a pleasure in the food, he'd eat in order to live. Listen, you get hungry. What if I, I give you food, it has no taste, but it's got nourishment. You'll eat it. If I want to live, I'm gonna eat the food, even if I have no sense of taste. And therefore, eating does not really express that you need to have pleasure per se. If, if like, there are people who, let's say, that's when you had COVID, you had to eat. You be hungry, you don't eat for a day or two, food doesn't smell good, your stomach is growling, you're getting weak, you're gonna die, you gotta eat. So you're not eating for pleasure, you're eating for survival. Now, it could also give you a pleasure, it's possible. But ultimately, if we ask you what's the bottom line of eating, a very big reason is to stay alive. Okay. But Gamora asks, how do we know we have to make a brach on smell? It says the words in the Hallelujahs, Kol Hanishama Every soul praises God. And what part of the soul enjoys that and the body doesn't? What things should the soul praise and not the body? I would say that is the sense of smell. Because the sense of smell does not add anything to the body. It doesn't keep you alive. You can smell the best food for a week and die of starvation. So then what is the sense of smell uniquely expressing? The desire for pleasure. That's all. Because what do you get out of a good smell? Pleasure. That's it. Nothing else. You cannot live on smelling good food. But you get pleasure. So we're to, now, it doesn't mean to say food won't have a good pleasure. But it's really only from the taste. If there's no taste, there's no pleasure. So the taste of food gives you pleasure. But that's mingled with the food. But smell, listen, people spend a lot of money on perfume. Did you ever notice that? A ton of dough. Why? You don't eat it. 
doesn't keep you alive. And you put it on, wow, smell great. It, it gives a certain pleasure to smell like this. Okay, so what have we shown so far? A human being is created for pleasure. The loftiest pleasure comes from the sense of smell. Okay, now we're gonna take, that's one introduction. Now we're gonna go into another introduction. The work of the Sitra Acher, the forces of the other side, the Yetzirah. And here's an interesting um, comment on history. In 1956 was the, the, the Sinai campaign in Israel. It was the second war, major war. And one of the great rabbis of the generation, the Briskarov, commented the following to a different rabbi. Okay, there's one Godel who said the following. He says, all the victories that the Zionists have now remember, they were a secular country. They didn't believe in, in God and to maintain the Jewish faith of Yiddishkeit. And he says, all the victories that the secular Zionists have, it's coming from the Sitra Acher, the other side, and not from, from Kedusha. It's not coming from God. It's coming from the Yetzirah. Because, and simple meaning is, because when they win, they're just going to win to make the, the, the state continue to be not religious. So what are we winning for? It's to enable us to do more of Eris and Eretz Yisrael. So a great rabbi said, it's the Yetzirah who's winning the battles. Came along the Briskarov and he said, I have a different way of looking at it. But to appreciate it, we have to look at a Gemara in Avodah Zarah. Gemara in Avodah Zarah says the following. There was a fellow who spoke to Rabbi Akiva and he said, you know, I know and you know that Avodah Zorah is useless. But still, what happens, we see a person who goes into a house of idolatry. He comes in sick. They do their service. They do their idolatry. He comes out healthy. So he said, I know it's, it's baloney, but you see it works. So he says, let me give you a parable. What would this be similar? Let's say there was a person who was a very trustworthy person in the city. Very trustworthy. Everybody would deposit things by him. They wouldn't ask for any witnesses. He was so honest. People say, here, hold my uh, watch while I'm going away. You don't have to have a witness. I know you're going to give it back. And there was one fellow who always said, no, I want to always have witnesses. Okay, you want to have witnesses? Bring witnesses, and I have witnesses. He'll sign a document that I'm holding something for you. One time, the guy who was particular to bring witnesses forgot to bring witnesses. Now, the wife of the honest person says, oh, look at this. When he comes back a month from now asking for the item, we're going to say he never gave it to us. Why? Because he didn't bring witnesses this time. So the husband says, just because this guy is a shota, fool, and he didn't do properly, should we lose our trustworthiness? And as we've been trustworthy to everybody, 
So why should we lie to this guy? Just because he always ran with witnesses and now there was no witnesses when at night? Why should we ruin our good record? So it is, says the Rabbi Kiva. So comes with suffering. When Hashem sends suffering down to a person, Hashem makes the angel of suffering make an oath. Number one, he says, don't bring the suffering to the fellow until this and this time. Don't leave with this and this person, this and this time. Don't leave that person until the right time. Don't leave until a particular medication was brought. Hashem gives all the rules for the angel of sickness, who's also the angel of health. He has to follow these rules that God is telling him. So what will happen if at that very moment, when this angel is supposed to take away the sickness, the guy decides, I'm going to go to the church right now and pray to Jesus to take away my sickness. Are we going to say to the sickness, Malach, don't take away the sickness? Just because the guy's a fool, should we not do our job? Very interesting. And that is what Rabbi Yochanan said when the Pesach says, Sicknesses that are bad but truthful. What does it mean? Bad meaning in its mission it brings bad things. But it's truthful in its oath that it takes it away when it's supposed to take it away. And then they did another example uh, when there was rain. They needed rain. And the Goyim would go to their churches and pray to their Avodazara. And it would rain right at the... And they, they, they'd say, you have to sacrifice one of your children to make the rain stop. And they sacrifice the kid and the rain stops. Right? And they go a little further and they say, you know, uh, so when they need the rain, the idol appears to some of the preachers in a dream and says, Shecht one of your children and the rain will come. So he said, you know what? This way Hashem gives people a way to fool themselves. So these two answers are saying the same thing, so to speak. How can it be that the rain goes exactly at the time it's supposed to go when they tell to do the Avodah It's the same idea that Avodah can try to trick you, can do tricks, to think as if the Avodah does it. In other words, the forces of evil, they know when the healing is going to come. They, that they know. So therefore, they're going to fool you. Do this and this right now, and that is going to heal you. But it's not that they did anything. They just knew when the healing was going to come. You know, it's like, imagine, for example, you know, that uh, you got this uh, rain rain man. You remember the days of forecast, the forecast. A, a rain? No, not a forecaster, a rain man. It used to be in the Wild West. They didn't have themselves. This guy would come usually with a stick and this and that, and he'd pray and do this and that, and he would be able to make it rain. Now, let's just say, for example, that that rain man living in the 18th century, he had knowledge of 21st century knowledge of forecasting. But he didn't share it with anybody. 
And even the forecast is for rain in three days. So he'll tell them, you know what? We gotta wait three days. Let's all pray. Give me money. And in three days we'll bring the rain. And they bring us the rain. It was going, oh, he's up, he's a rainmaker. No, he just knew what nobody else knew. And that's what the Briskarov said. Let's come back to our story about the Sinai campaign. The Yetzirah, the forces of evil, the other side has no power. So it's not the Pshat, as the other rabbi said, that the Yetzirah is the one who's winning the battles for them. That's not, it's not, it's not saying the battle's being won by the Yetzirah. But the Jewish people are in danger. Hashem has Rachmanus on them. He's going to save them by helping the soldiers win. But the forces of evil, they know when the success is going to happen. Hashem's going to save them at a particular day, at a particular time. So what happens? So the, the, the IDF sends the soldiers at that time. Now, they don't know that Hashem is like that. And they're saying, we did it. So it's not that the forces of evil won the battle. Hashem won the battle, but the forces of evil were just coincidentally lucky that they were winning at the same time Hashem wanted them to win. Now, this leads us to a very deep idea. And that is there's two types of con men. Two types of tricksters. There's one con man, for example, when the king does something, the guy does the same things the king is doing, and people make a mistake and think he did it and not the king. I mean, he did it, but instead of the king doing it, he knew the king was going to do it, so he did it. Uh, and uh, people think, that it's what he did and not the king. But he did certain things. There's a worse trick. Is when the con man doesn't do anything but wants you to think he did it all. The king does everything and he says, I just want you to know what I accomplished for you. It's like, it's like you know, you go to the king and he asks for a check. King gives a check, but the con man delivers it and says, I gave you this check. Right, so it's, it's coming from me, or the king gives ru uh, diamonds and rubies that are worth money, and the con man takes it and says it's from me. So what does that mean? That the Yetzirah, the Sitzahar, has no power to do anything itself, but only what Hashem brings. It has ways to fool a person and thinking as if it's not coming from Hashem. Really, so therefore, the amazing things that Hashem does, we can be fooled and think that there's another source that's doing this. And that's the most uh, disgusting type of chicanery. The Yetzirah knows he's not doing anything. It's all Hashem, but he's fooling everything otherwise. And that's all situations. Let's take a look at Parnassah. Now, the, the Satan says... Listen, you want Parnas, you have to make an effort. Okay, if you work hard, you're going to make the money. If you work less, you don't make. But the truth of the matter is, what's really going on? Okay, Hashem decides that Ruvain's going to have 
a certain car, Shimon a different car, Levi's not going to get a car at all. And the son says, see, it's all the amount of effort they made. This one's richer, got a nicer car. This one's poor, got a lesser car. This one, you know, wasn't so good at all. He doesn't get any car. Or how about like this? A person knows you can get a regular doctor. We're talking to America now. And you can pay for a better doctor. An extra $50,000. You get the top doctor. And the, and the, and the surgery is successful. See, I got a better doctor. That's why the surgery is successful. No, the surgery is going to be successful because Hashem decided it's successful. You want to waste 50000 That's your business. So you think that the doctor is the one that made the success. They tell a story about a Rebetzin Sarutskin, Zechronel of Rav, when she lived in, she lived in Eretz Yisrael. She had a very serious surgery. And she uh, was very particular that she get the best doctor possible. And people were wondering, She's a very religious lady. What are you putting your trust in the best doctor? She was going to say, I want the best doctor. So you have to meet with the doctor before the surgery. So she meets with this doctor, totally secular doctor. And she said, I want you to know one thing. And the guy kind of knew she was making a big deal to get this doctor. So I just want you to know, I want to get the best doctor in the world so I could tell you that I don't believe that you're going to heal me at all. Even with the best doctor in the world, I know if only if Hashem wants us to succeed, will it succeed. So that's the idea. So we've got two major ideas coming together. We have not yet, as we've discussed in the Ram class, we sometimes need a lot of introductions to appreciate what's going on. We have two major introductions here so far. Well, three. Karbanos means you're giving up something for Hashem. So far, the highest giving up was giving up your blood, giving up your life. Second point we said, is that man is wired for pleasure. And that's we're supposed to have pleasure. We talk about how the highest level pleasure is the sense of smell. And now we've talked about how the Yitzhahara is going to fool you and to think that certain things that are coming is coming from a source other than Hashem when it only comes from Hashem. These are the points we're up to. It's not helping us yet with the Ketoras, but now we're in a position for tomorrow we'll put the pieces together and see how the Ketoras makes this all happen. Thank you. Thank you.